doing a a launch today of our city groups. We've told you for a couple of weeks, hey, we're going to be doing city groups. Hey, we're going to be doing city groups. And I know they've, they've continued to be pushed back because of other things that God keeps opening up. Um, but these are important, and we, we want to share with you today um, our semester. You probably, when you came in, saw a, a fall 2017 city groups sheet. You don't need to look at it too much in depth today. This, or right now, we're going to share with you what those are like. Um, but before we get into the details of our groups, I, I want to talk to you about God's plan for community. Um, This isn't just something we do because, hey, we need to have small groups. It's not something we do because uh, we got to have something else going on for our people. Um, We we believe theologically this is what God has for us. He he has wired us for community. So so I want to talk to you this morning um, on this idea of a city within a city, discovering God's design for community. Uh, I, I believe very strongly that God did not create us to do life alone. I, I use this quote all the time uh, because I believe in it so much. But my pastor, our, our founding pastor, Jason Delgado, said many, many times, uh, he, he said, if two of us are the same, one of us is unnecessary. He made us different for a reason. He made you different from me and me different from the person next to you for a reason because we need each other. Um, and, and so we want to discover what that looks like today. We are, of course, named City Church. I think names are important. Anytime I get the opportunity to name something, I put a lot of thought into it, a lot of prayer into it. Twelve years ago, when Pastor Jason brought me here to be his youth pastor, and I was handed a youth ministry, um, we, we put a lot of thought into what name we were going to put in that youth ministry. We put a lot of prayer into it as we decided to name it the 662. Um, that wasn't just something that, that sounded cool and we threw on there. There was a lot of research. In fact, I ended up, I researched over 10,000 youth ministry names before we picked that name. I put a lot of time into it because I think names matter. I think there's a significance to them. Uh, when, when my wife and I started dating, in fact, before we were even engaged, we started talking baby names. Uh, she wasn't pregnant, uh, but it was just something that was important to her, something that was important to me. So we started debating and discussing and, and breaking down, uh, vetoing one another's names. Uh, and, and three years ago today, we gave birth to our first child. And by I say we, she gave birth to our first child. Uh, and so Judah came into the world three years ago today, and uh, we selected his name very carefully. We looked into the meaning of it, and uh, it actually means praise. Uh, and, and we wanted that to be our son's identity, that he would be someone with a heart to worship God, someone with a heart to be, bring praise to Jesus. What I didn't realize as we gave him that name is all the praise that he would inspire in me. Man, as I got to know my son, as I began to watch him grow up, like how many times he would inspire me to worship God. Um, and, and he's inspired me again today, man. This morning I just woke up just with a heart of gratitude for my son, for the blessing that he is. He truly is someone who brings me to praise. Uh, our daughter is named Alexa. We've had her for about 18 months. And, and Alexa means defender of mankind. No pressure, baby girl. Uh, that, that, that's a lot to place on somebody, but, but we believe that she's got a call on her life uh, to, to look out for the last, the lost, and the least, uh, to, to reach out to those on the margins of society. We believe that she has a destiny related to her name. So we put a lot of thought into names. So I did not name City Church. Our, our founding pastor, Pastor Jason, named City Church. But I think the name has significance. 
Jesus. I think the name means something. I don't think it's just something that we slap on a sign or we slap on a graphic. I think there's a significance to the name that God led him to give our church. He may not even have realized all the significance when he gave it that name. But, but what is a city? A city is a large community, right? It's, it's a place, a location where a lot of people exist. A city is a large community. So what then is city church? We are a church that, that exists to reach our city. That exists to, as we say, reach our city by reaching one. Um, we are about our city. We believe Proverbs eleven eleven very strongly. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. If God put us in Olive Branch, then Olive Branch should be better because we're here. That's just the way it works. When God places believers somewhere, he places them there for a reason. Um, so that's the, the first implication of our name. But there's a second implication, I believe, as well. We don't just exist for our city, but we ourselves are a city within a city. We are a community. We are a community of believers, not nearly as large as our city, of course, but hopefully growing. But we are a city within a city. We are a place of community. When I hear that word community, one of the things that I think of is community college. I don't know if you guys think of that. Um, but, but I think of community college and Chris Rock famously said that, why do they call it community college? He said, because anybody in the community can go there. He said, drug dealers and prostitutes, and, and anybody can get into community college. And he was trying to make a joke, and if you actually have a degree from a community college, I hope you're not offended by that. Uh, but I think that's actually a pretty awesome vision for a church. Why is a church a community? Because anybody, no matter their background, no matter their mistakes, no matter their addiction, no matter what they've been through, should be welcome in this community should be welcome in this city. That's part of our vision. And, and so the, the word community actually is, is from two root English words, common and unity. That when you come together in a community, there's a common unity. There's a thread that connects us, that binds us, that brings us together. And I believe it's not accidental. I believe God has wired us for community. Uh, I, I think Chris Rock's quote uh, that, that anybody can go to the community college is actually a reflection of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to this. Starting in verse 9, it says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If we stop right there, sounds like it's going to be pretty hard to get into heaven, doesn't it? So it sounds like heaven is a pretty exclusive place that, that a lot of us are going to be on the outskirts and never have a chance to get in. But thankfully, the Apostle Paul did not stop with verse 10. He kept going. And in verse 11, he says this, one of my favorite verses in the scripture. He says, and that is what some of you were. You used to be messed up. You used to be jacked. You used to have all kinds of perversions and issues and sins, but... You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's the community we want to be a part of, isn't it? It's a church we want to be a part of where, where people of all kinds of junk, all kinds of issues, all kinds of habits, all kinds of hang-ups get to come and connect to a God who loves them right where they're at, who accepts them right where they're at, but doesn't leave them right where they're at, who changes them and washes them and sanctifies them. Why do we call it City Church? Because anybody in the city can be a part of it. 
Because no matter your past, no matter your junk, no matter your failures, no matter your issues, no matter your challenges, we serve a God who's bigger. We serve a God who's enough. And we want to introduce you to that God. So, so community is a big deal to our God. But so often, unfortunately, godly community is elusive. So often, even as Christians, we don't get, find ourselves in godly community. We don't make time for it. We don't prioritize it. What, what, why is that? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why we can find a challenge in finding godly community. First is probably just life is busy, right? Um, I don't know about you, the, the last three weeks since we first got this phone call have been insane. I thought I was busy before, uh, and the last three weeks it's just gone through the roof. How many phone calls I've had to make, how many people I've talked to, how many contractors I had to call and cancel or push pause and then call and, hey, come evaluate this other building and tell us what you can do. And, I mean, it's just been nonstop. And I don't say that to complain at all. This is the best three weeks ever. I am grateful for this opportunity, but it's been busy. And so many times I think we miss out on community just because we, we fill up our schedule. Man, we're just busy. We just got a lot going on. Sometimes I think we don't seek out community because we're selfish. Man, we, we, we want to build everything about us, and community means that we have to think about somebody else. And so our selfishness causes us to not pursue community. Sometimes I think it's our pride. I think I'm enough. I think I don't need you. I think I've got it going on. And because I think I've got enough without you, I don't pursue relationship with you. Some people, I believe, are desperate for godly community and just don't know how to find it. Just haven't been able to find those people to surround themselves with, to do life with. Um, Some of us don't pursue godly community because we have so much other community. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a church that's going to tell you not to have any friends who are unsaved. Have unsaved friends. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. we got to go after those unsaved people. But your closest community, the people that, that you rely on, the people that you do life with, man, if those people don't know Jesus, it's going to be a problem for you. You're not going to be sustained. They're not going to be life-giving. They're not going to push you in the right direction. And so sometimes we've got community just outside of where we need to find it. Some of us, I think we just don't realize how important community really is. So so what I want to do this morning is I want to introduce you to this idea of, of godly community. You actually see it on the screen, this subtitle, Discovering God's Design for Community. I want to help you to discover God's design for community. I want to show you five thoughts, five ideas about why community is so important, why it's worth sacrificing for, why it's worth being uncomfortable for, why it's worth pushing through the hurts of our past and the people who've harmed us before and saying, you know what, this thing is worth it. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. What a great place to start. Uh, I'm a big believer in the rule of first, that the first time something pops up in Scripture, it's there to teach us something about God's original design. And Genesis 1, 2, and 3 teach us so much about who we are and how we relate to him. So in Genesis 1, 26, God says this. says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now this verse has, has messed up theologians for a long time. How can God, we believe in monotheism, we believe in one God, how can one God speak in the plural? Well, obviously we believe in the Trinity. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the first thing I want you to write down, my first thought for you on God's design for community is this, is that community isn't just what God designed for me. Community is who God is. 
God teaches us something about his design for us. He says, I'm going to make you in my image. In other words, you're going to be a reflection of me. I'm going to make you in my likeness. You're going to be wired the same way I am, and I don't exist unto myself. I don't exist in isolation. I exist in perfect harmony and perfect community as three persons. And so if God needs community, guess what, church? You need it that much more. If God isn't enough in and of himself, if he decided, you know what, I need three of me and I don't even know how all that worked and the Trinity confounds me and it's beyond my understanding sometimes, but I know this, there's three of them, but there's one of them. But he's teaching us something. Uh, I, I was in a class yesterday, and I, I heard the speaker talk about this. He was talking about the Trinity and how we may never completely grasp it on this side of earth. And he said he, he had seen somebody give this illustration of the Trinity as an egg. I, I've seen this. I've actually done this illustration before, so this is really funny to me. But you take an egg, and you crack it, and you're like, okay, here's, here's the shell. Here's the egg white. Here's the yolk. God's the same way. It's one egg, but, but three individual parts of the egg, right? So God's like the shell, like the white, like the yolk. The problem was in this particular illustration, he cracked it, and he dumped it into the mixing bowl, and there was two yolks. Uh, <laughs> well, can't check for that ahead of time, right? You, we, we don't have like an x-ray to look inside the eggshell and make sure there's only one yolk in there. So he jacked up his whole illustration because uh, there was two yolks. And I just thought that was funny because, man, doesn't that kind of how it works? Like we, we kind of think we understand the Trinity, but it's still kind of beyond anything we can really wrap our brain around, right? I'm never really going to get it, at least not on this side of heaven. But I don't have to get it to understand this. God exists in community. It is who he is. It is important to him, and if it's important to him and he created me in his likeness, guess what? It should be important to me. It should matter. It should be something we prioritize. The creation story doesn't stop there, of course. God gives Adam, this first man, a job. And after he gives him the, the work of crea- uh, catering to and, and, and caring for the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 2.18, he says this very famously. He says, it is not good for the man to be Not good for the man to be alone. What's interesting about this, there's many interesting things, but in the creation story, time after time after time, we see God look down and say, it is good. It was good. In fact, he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day, and he said, it is very good. The cherry on the top of his creation. But one time in the creation story, God looks down and says, it's not good. When somebody was isolated, when somebody was separated. So that brings us to our second thought on community today. We are designed for community. Kind of ties to our first one. We're designed to it because we reflect him, and he is existing in community. I've had the incredible honor of doing about 20 weddings in my life. And uh, in, in, in these weddings, uh, I'm always flattered that somebody would allow me to be part of such a, such a huge moment in their life. And uh, many of them, I've gotten to do premarital counseling with a couple. A couple have had other people do their premarital counseling, but most of them I've gotten to do premarital counseling. And anytime I get to sit down and do premarital counseling with somebody, there's, there's kind of a holy fear. Um, man, like you are, people are getting ready to make the biggest decision of their lives, and God has entrusted you to set them up for success or failure, no pressure. Uh, right? Like it's, it's a big deal. Uh, and, and so one of the things we always talk about in premarital counseling is, is creation, right? Is Adam and Eve. It's not good for man to be alone. It's good to pursue marriage. It's good to take those steps. We, we support people pursuing those things. Uh, but that verse can't just mean marriage, and here's why. Because the New Testament, we find out that God actually designed some people to not get married. 
God actually calls some people to holy singleness, we discover in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so they aren't designed for marriage, but they're still designed for community. Not all of us will get married. Maybe some of us will get married and we'll lose a spouse. Maybe some of us will never take that step. But whether we get married or not, we're still designed for community. God still looks at us and says it's not good for you to be alone. You see, marriage isn't magical. It's work. It doesn't fix everything. Whatever you bring into your marriage doesn't magically disappear because we now prayed over you and signed a document and said you're married. There's lots of married people and formerly married people who will tell you it's possible to be married and to be alone. It can be done. It happens many, many times, unfortunately, in our culture. But God says it's not good for us to be alone. We're designed for each other. We're designed to be in community. I'm designed for community. You're designed for community. We are designed for community. 1 Corinthians 12 famously introduces this this illustration of God's people as a body, that we work together in the same way that our body works together and joins together. We are designed to work together and join together. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 puts it this way. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. How many of you know you need your eye and your hand? Grateful for both, right? It's a good thing that I have them both. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. One part can't look at another part and say, I can operate without you. Every body part needs the rest of the body parts. I can't look at you as a part of the kingdom of God, as a part of his family, as a part of the body and say, I'm good without you. And you can't look at me and say, I'm good without you. We need each other. We're designed for community. This brings us to number three. Christians need community with one another. Yes, people need community, but specifically Christians. This is God's specific design for us as the church. We need community. You need me, and I need you. It's the way it's supposed to work. We, we can't look at one another and say, I've arrived. We don't ever reach a season in life where it's like, okay, I needed somebody. I needed the church. I needed other believers while I grew to maturity, but now I've reached maturity, and now I'm good. I can do it by myself. We never get to that place, this side of heaven. And once we get to heaven, we know it's a big old community up there, right? So we're never going to be out of community. We're always going to be in community with one another. I've been at City Church now for for quite a while. In fact, in two weeks, I'll hit my 12th anniversary with this church, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, I grew up in a family of church hoppers, and we'd go to church for two years or three years or four years and then go to the next church. so, So to have been part of one family of believers for 12 years is is humbling. It's amazing, the, the great benefit that God's brought into my life by being part of one church family for so long. Um, and I sat down one time and I counted it up uh, in just one aspect of my life. I could go through a lot of different aspects of life, but, but we'll just share one area that I've needed a lot of other people from this church. I've needed a lot of other people when it comes to vehicles because I have bad luck with cars, right? So, so I've, my, I've been broken down on the side of the road. I've had somebody need to pick me up for this, uh, for that, whatever. In fact, the very first day that I worked for, at that time, Church on the Horizon, which became City Church, um, I, I had a moving vehicle, like, a, you know, a, a rental truck uh, that I had to take back. And so I took it back, and I needed to get a ride. Our church secretary, Judy Marchbanks at the time, picked me up. So literally from the day that I started at this church, I needed transportation from somebody. Uh, th- there was a time back when, when I was youth pastor, when I was going down Highway 78 towards Tom Bigby State Park with, with three teenage boys, and we were going to a youth event that great 
Great Commission Church was putting on. They invited us to come be a part of. And my, my Jeep started smoking out of the engine on the side of the road. And so we pull over on the side of the road, and we find a shovel and, and I'm not joking, like some bones. It was probably a raccoon, but we thought it was a dead body at first. And we're freaking out. We're about to die on the side of Highway 78. And Kim Seed comes and, and saves the day and rescues us and, and picks us up. And Cody and Mercedes Rogers have given me more rides than I can count. And Rosemary's given me rides. And, and, and it's just constantly that I've needed somebody in this just one little small area of my life. Just when it comes to transportation, I could go through story after story. Some of these people have moved on to other states. Dale Sojourner, he lives in Florida now. Dale had to come bail me out. We were halfway across Arkansas on a Saturday night. I was preaching the next morning. I wasn't pastor yet. I had a youth Sunday, which was a big deal for me. I got a chance to preach on a Sunday. And halfway across Arkansas, coming back from from being with my sister-in-law at the ministry she works for in Texas, we threw a rod in our Toyota Corolla. Uh, and, And Dale comes in the middle of the night, drives through. Three hours to pick us up and three hours to bring us back. What an incredible sacrifice. The community of God, the people of God being there for one another. I could tell you stories of others who, who, who aren't part of our church anymore. They moved on to other churches. I could tell you stories of, of at least one who helped me out vehicle-wise who isn't even part of this earth anymore. He's already moved on to the next life. I could tell you story after story after story of how God has used the family of God in just this one area. That doesn't even get in to the times where I've needed advice or the times where I've needed prayer or the times where I've needed encouragement or the times where I've needed somebody to help me move or, or whatever the situation might be. But time and time and time again, God's people have been there. So grateful for the people of God. And I know if we had time, we could pass the microphone around and those who've been a part of this community for any length of time and and have developed those relationships and taken the time to get to know people, you could share how God's people have been a blessing in your life, how they've interceded for you, how they've been there for you, man, when, when you had a situation, when you had a need, how they've looked out for you, how they've encouraged you. God's people need each other, don't we? That's a good place to say amen. Let's try it again. God's people need each other. Oh, you guys are awesome. Thank you. We need each other. Proverbs 18, 24 in the New King James puts it this way. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Let me bring you to, to thought number four when it comes to community. Community starts with me. Community starts with me. You see, we live in, in what can sometimes be a very passive generation. And we can think, well, man, nobody ever talks to me. Nobody ever hangs out with me. Nobody ever does anything with me. And, and, and we can be very, man, everybody else is supposed to come to me, right? But the word of God says, if you want to have friends, guess what? You get to start the process. You get to be the one to be friendly. Community starts with you. Instead of looking around in, in whatever church you're a part of or whatever group of people you're a part of and saying, man, they're just not that friendly. Man, I just can't get to know anybody there. Man, I just don't ever connect with anybody. Man, initiate something. Step out. Have, have the courage to, to ask somebody to go get coffee with you. Have the courage to exchange phone numbers with somebody. Have the courage to just strike up a conversation and say, look, I don't want to just do the, the normal, how'd your week go and what's going on with your kids. Like, let's, let's actually get to know each other a little bit. It takes some courage. And guess what? Sometimes you get rejected, right? I think we all have a middle school 
kid in our head, like, who's afraid of being rejected. I think we all have that voice, like, well, what if they don't talk to me back? Well, what if they don't want to hang out? What if they're too cool for me? What if they think I'm ugly, right? Like, what if I don't wear the cool, like, good enough clothes? Like, we all have this, like, stupid, insecure 12-year-old in our head who's just preventing us from pushing forward to community. And we've got to push past that voice. We've got to push past that insecurity and say, you know what? God designed me for this. It's worth it, even if it's a little uncomfortable, even if it's a little awkward, even if it's not like my default, even if I'm an introvert, even if this doesn't come easy to me or come natural to me, God's community is worth it. And I'm not trying to put down introverts. My wife's an introvert. I love introverts. I'm married to introvert. I'm grateful for introverts. I'm just saying, like, we can't just rely on that as an excuse. All of us need community. Whether an extrovert or an introvert, we all need community. And community starts with me. It starts with me. Here's, we're so serious about building community, we, we actually are going to do something today to help you build community. We got a whole bunch of ice cream treats after service. And you're all going to get an ice cream. And you get an ice cream sandwich or you'll get um, a drumstick. I think there's some, like, some, some popsicle bars. There's all kinds of different ice cream treats for you. And everybody's going to get one, but you're getting one with a catch. We're asking you to take 10 minutes after service and hang out and talk to somebody. Get to know somebody. Just a real practical, simple step. Ten minutes for free ice cream, totally worth it, uh, right? And obviously, like, if you're like, I have to get to work or I can't stay, we're still going to give you ice cream, but you're a cheater, um, all right? Like, you, we want you to just strike up a conversation, exchange, start with getting to know somebody's name. You got that person that, you know, you've seen them for the last three months, and you're like, I never remember their name. And then you're embarrassed to ask them their name because you're like, I'm terrible with names. Just suck it up and ask them anyway, right? Like, I, I would much rather have one of you be like, yeah, I don't know your name, but I care enough to ask you again than to go through life for the next two years and not know what my name is, right? Like, let, let's, let's respect each other enough to just be honest. Let's have grace with each other because let's face it, everybody you talk to always says the same thing. I'm terrible with names. We're all bad with names, okay? So don't worry about if you remember their name or not, get to know their name. Initiate a conversation. Get to build some relationship. And let's just be honest. It's easier to build relationship when you got a tasty ice cream treat in your mouth, right? Like you're feeling good. You're happy. Like we're, we're, we like to build relationship around food. So next week we're going to do something else at our open house. We're going to have some, some refreshments at our open house again. Why? To help facilitate another 5, 10, 15 minutes of relationship. Why? Because community is important. And we need to facilitate that. We want to invest in it. We want to help you to get to know people and build that community. Look at your neighbor and say, community starts with me. Look at your other neighbor and say, community starts with you. Look at the person in front of you or behind you that you ignored so far and say, I want some ice cream. <laughs> Got the response on that one, didn't we? We all want some ice cream. Amen, praise God. It brings us to our last thought on community today. And what I think is maybe the most important of them all. Number five. I already referred to this in the introduction, but I think it's so important. We're going to put it in black and white make sure it makes it into your notes. God's people should be my closest community. I think it's awesome when Christians have friends who don't know Jesus. I think it's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be in but not of the world. If, if, if the only people we know are people that know Jesus, we need, we need to start putting, pushing out of our comfort zone a little bit. And building some relationships with people who are far from God. Building some relationships with people who see things differently. So again, I'm not telling you not to be friends with people who don't know Jesus. But I am telling you this. John Maxwell says this, and I believe it's absolutely true. He says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The people who you surround yourself with, your core, 
the people that you turn to when things are going badly, the people that are there for you when you're hurting the most. Man, if those people not just don't... I'm not just going to say if they don't know Jesus, if they're not pursuing Jesus, they might be a Christian all day long, but if they're not pursuing relationship with him, you're probably not going to really pursue relationship with him for very long either. Your friends have such an influence on you. Again, you got that little middle schooler in your head? We all got a lot in common with middle schoolers. Whether you're, whether you're 100 years old or 12 years old or 4 years old, your friends are going to have a big impact on the way you live your life. They just are. The people you spend your most time with, the people that are closest to you, they're going to either push you towards God or push you away from him. It's just the way it works. God's people should be my closest community. One of my favorite descriptions of salvation in scripture is the description of salvation as adoption. That that we have this, this God who is a father. He has one son, Jesus, this perfect son. But he looks down at all of us, this, this lost, messed up, broken, fallen world, and says, I'm not, I'm not happy with just one son. I want to start adopting in some people into my family. And he begins to adopt us through the, the sacrifice of Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection. He, he allows us to now become part of his family. He says, Hannah, I'm going to adopt you. You're going to be my daughter. Ethan, I'm going to adopt you. You're going to be my son. Misty, I'm going to adopt you. You're going to be my daughter. Mark, I want to adopt you. You're going to be my son. He looks at each of us and says, I'm adopting you into my family. And what happens when you get adopted? You get a new family. You get a new name. You get new identity. You get a new inheritance, right? All of those things come with being adopted into the family of God. But here's the thing. It's a family. It's a family. Now, every one of us has a family, and every one of us has a messed up family, right? I don't care how great, how much you love your family, how, how grateful you are for your family. Every one of us, our family's messed up. Thanksgiving's in like six weeks, and every one of you has that one family member that's like, really, I got to have Thanksgiving with them, right? Uh, or, and if you don't have that family member, that means you're that family member. Uh, so, so be ready. Man, if people are looking at you funny at Thanksgiving, that's probably why. Uh, so, so all of us have, like, some dysfunction in our family, right? All of us have some junk. All of us have some issues. Why? Because we're people. Because we're not completely conformed in the image of Christ yet. We're not totally sanctified yet. We're never going to be on this side of heaven. And so every family, no matter how wonderful, no matter how godly, we got some junk. And the family of God is the same way. Because the family of God is made up of people. We got a perfect father and a perfect older brother and a whole lot of jacked up us, right? We're part of that family. And so it's easy to look at the family of God and point out all the problems. Well, man, we got hip- hypocrisy here. We, we got judgmental people here. We got people with this issue and with that issue and people that hurt one another. And I've been hurt and I've been violated. And so since I've been hurt by the family of God, I'm just going to kind of keep them at arm's length. Can I tell you? That is the enemy's greatest strategy. If he can't keep you from being saved, you've already received Jesus. He can't stop that. He can't take that salvation from you. He's going to try to take the family of God from you. He's going to try to prevent you from being in the godly community that you were designed for. And so if that means he's got to use another Christian to hurt you, to convince you that community is not worth it, he'll do it. And that's where we got to be big enough and strong enough to say, you know what, even though I may have been burned by this church or this small group or this pastor or this leader or this other Christian, even though this person may have talked bad about me, which, by the way, we have a no gossip policy at City Church. Man, if if somebody comes to you and starts talking bad about somebody else, here's what you tell them. We don't do that here. 
And that, that this is one thing. If you lose a friend over telling them I'm not going to listen to your gossip, then that's a worthwhile friend to lose. We will not do that. We can't tolerate that. We've got to protect unity. We've got to protect each other. We're not going to be just another stereotypical church that hurts each other and talks about each other. It's not what God's designed for us. Um, but, but he's going to try what he can. All of us are going to be hurt by other Christians at some point. And guess what? Every one of us is going to hurt another Christian at some point. Because we don't have it all together. Because we're not perfectly conformed into his image yet. And when we get hurt and when we hurt others, we need to own it. And seek healing. We serve a God who heals, church. But we got to let him breathe on that thing in order for it to heal. we got to let him have access to it. And so it's easy to, to just begin to isolate. But you know what? The Bible says in 1 Peter that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You ever watch the Discovery Channel? You know how a lion hunts? Lions don't go and pick out the biggest, strongest zebra that's in the middle of the pack. You know how they pick out? The weak one. The sick one, the old one, the young one, the one that's on the fringe, the one that's on the outskirts of the pack, the one that's isolated from the rest. That's the one that they go and eat. And the Bible says the devil hunts the same way that a lion does. He's looking for the, the isolated Christian. He's looking for the one who's over here who doesn't have that community, who isn't surrounded by others who are praying for them, who are there for them, who are looking out for them, who are speaking life into them. When he can find that isolated Christian, you just paint a big old bullseye on your He's coming. He's coming. He's going to bring that attack. And so that's why it's so important for us to get in that community, to find other people. Man, they might not be exactly the same age as us. They may not like the same football team we do. They may not have the same interests we do. They may not do all the same things that we do and may not listen to the same band that we listen to. And they might not be exactly like us, and that's okay. Because they got the same Jesus we got. And it's okay for us to be different. If two of us is the same, one of us is unnecessary. So we got to push past our differences. We got to push past those generational differences. We got to push past those, those superficial differences and recognize you know what? Community is worth it. God's designed me for community, and God's people should be my closest community. God's adopted me into his family. 1 Corinthians 5 17 says very famously that therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you come to Jesus, you get a new family. You get a new identity. You get a new role. You get a new image. You get a new future. You get a new inheritance. Everything becomes new when you come to Jesus. But just because it all becomes new doesn't mean we take advantage of all of it. That's up to us. Take advantage of the family of God. Take advantage of the the body of Christ. Take advantage that we are part of a kingdom greater than ourselves. Godly Christ-centered community is designed to be a family. Family's not perfect. It's messed up. It's flawed. But you know what? Family has each other's back. Family's there for each other. Family makes each other better. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you so much.